Thank you very much. We're the Happiness Boys. I'm Ernie. And I'm confused because I didn't see it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I got one eye and it was looking the other way. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi, this is Diane Cannon. You're listening to TV Confidential. At Robertson Law, I guest Bob Nils. Bob spent 15 years as a staff writer for Bob Hope, beginning in 1977 and continuing into the early 1990s. Bob's book, The Laugh Makers, not only provides great insight into both Bob Hope the comedian and Bob Hope the person, but also takes you behind the scenes the last decades of the network variety show while also paying tribute to the gag men and gag women who made the great variety shows happen. The Laugh Makers is available as a soft cover paperback through Bear Manor Media as well as Amazon.com. It is also available as an ebook for Amazon Kindle as well as available as an audiobook through Audible.com. Bob, the last time you were on, we talked a little bit about uh, how hope approach the monologue for any given show he saw the monologue as like the hook the cow catcher to use an old theater term that was the thing that was going to keep the audience tuned in to watch the rest of the special so knowing uh, what, what you just said right now that he didn't believe in a warm-up act so and but so he didn't believe in a warm-up act but in, and he knew the the monologue was important that means he had to be pretty sure that the jokes he was going to deliver in the monologue were going to deliver the laughs he needed to begin the show, right? Yes, and also to ensure that, in order to get the six minutes was on average the uh, time it took for him to do the opening monologue. Well, to get that six minutes, he would do sometimes a uh, half hour worth of jokes. That's a lot of jokes. And uh, over those years, we had maybe five writers working, and we were doing about um, oh, 10 lines each per uh, topic. We would, we would come up with topic suggestions, and then we would send over this list, and he would go over the list and then pick the topics that he thought would hold up. And we'd always wait until the very last to do this. We've already shot the, the rest of the show, and this is toward the end of the week, and uh, it was always the last thing we shot was the uh, monologue so that it would be uh, current. Then we would start writing and sometimes uh, write for two days straight, all day long. And you get kind of in a zone, you know. Uh, I and we had little tricks that we would use. I I used to like to, uh, I played a tape recorder, of uh, Bob's rhythm, uh, another monologue, stage mm -hmm. monologue that he had done, and I could just hit that and kind of get the rhythm, and then I would start thinking in that way, and pretty soon I would be almost just taking down this is what it seemed like it seemed like an out-of-body experience i would i i knew i was typing i used to have a, a selectric remember mm -hmm. typewriters yes it's I hard do. to believe but in fact, it, I had it a, actually I, had, paper. I had a selectric yeah you put a piece of paper in there you know bang 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 so i'm banging away on this selectric and uh i would get zoned out to the point where it was almost like i saw him on the stage delivering the jokes i was thinking of 
and I was just writing them down like a court reporter. Mm-hmm. And my wife had come by every once in a while, and I'd laugh. Sometimes I'd laugh, and she'd say, are you laughing at your own stuff again? And I'd say, no, Hopes, you heard, heard what he just said. And it, it's crazy, but um, uh, Candace Bergen says that uh, Edgar was just like that, too, that he was so divorced from Charlie that it was like two people, and that's how it was. It was almost like you're a ventriloquist, and you're, you're this this I hate to call hope a dummy, but hey, I'm I'm picturing him right. on stage actually you're feeding, you're, you're, well, saying the line. You're feeding lines for him. That's right. So you get into other people's heads, and the more accurately you can do that, the more you work, and the uh, more valuable you are to people who need. Uh, to have words put in their mouth. Because, because you have to think like them. You do. You After a while, you think exactly like them, and you definitely speak like them. You know how to write the way they speak. And then it carries over e- even into serious stuff. I mean, we used to write magazine articles, for mm-hmm. instance. Well, you can't do a magazine article like a monologue, but it would be Bob Hope from start to finish. I wrote a, an article one time for... Um, Ladies' Home Journal called uh, "Turning 80. Mm-hmm. When he turned eighty, he said, "I want to. I want to write something. They want me to do the final page. They had and they, they had a cartoon of him by uh, that famous cartoonist, you know, celebrity cartoonist. Um, yeah, remember him? Yes, yeah. he did a lot of caricatures for TV Guide. Yes, and he always uh, put his daughter's name somewhere hidden. Nina, her name was in the drawing. But anyway, uh, you write those articles exactly as Hope speaks." So it sounds exactly like Hope. When we were in China, we wrote Hope's Impressions Al of Hirschfeld. China. Al Hirschfeld, exactly right. We wrote uh, my partner Gig and I, Gig Henry, a uh, wonderful little guy, God rest his soul. We were in China with Hope, and he had made an arrangement with King Features to send back Impressions of China, the first American, really, entertainer in there in 1979. Uh, Nixon had just opened it with Mao in 1975. So we were early on. I have two chapters in my book about that. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, interesting stuff about uh, getting along with the Chinese censors. It was the first American TV crew allowed in China. That's right. And the producer was Jim Lipton, who's in the news who's, who's a lot the news lately. This week fact, because of the uh, 250th episode of uh, the Action yeah, Studio Show. Yeah, that's right. And a great producer. He produced uh, a lot of good, really good uh, Bob Hope specials. Great guy to work with. We always worked well with producers because uh, it was almost like the producers were dealing with the, the actual star mm-hmm. because they knew we were in such close contact, they would ask us stuff, and we'd say, well, we don't actually think for them, we just speak for them. <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, Gig and I would, would sit around and, and hope and say, isn't it about time I had a few more impressions? And so he'd go in, take his nap, and we would come up with ideas for uh, China, what what his impressions were. So we did things, uh, and it was uh, compiled later in the Saturday Evening Post, mm-hmm. and uh, it it read like, Bob Hope Speaks, and uh, Gig and I, he would then, okay, he was a great editor. He knew exactly what he wanted and what would work, you know, and he, he uh, by that time, we kind of knew him so well that it would be an odd uh, thing where he'd blue pencil and say, I don't want to say that, you know, but uh, once in a while, but very easy to work for and treated us so nicely because, uh, and I say in the cruise ships, we were treated like 
golden geese laying laying golden eggs, you know, the goose. And I say, believe me, folks, I laid a few eggs in my bed. <laughs> but I uh, did a little groucho there, too. But <laughs> he, was, uh, he was a real sweetheart when it came to his writers. And I, I wrote the book mainly so that that era of Bob and his writers uh, uh, wouldn't be forgotten. He, he was uh, the first in radio to have a real crew of writers. At one time, he had as many as 13 writers in radio. And he developed uh, habits that carried over into television. And uh, I heard stories from the old days, and boy, it must have been something. Every, everybody wrote the Bob Hope show start to finish, and we did too. Mm-hmm. We wrote the monologue, and then we wrote all the stand-up spots with the guests. And anytime somebody spoke, we wrote it. Then you would, he would take all of those scripts that we would turn in and edit them into one final script mm-hmm. and it was a horrendous job when you think about it because it all had to dovetail together you're all working on sketches and we we would agree on what the sketch was going to be about and how it would start how it would end but what happened in the meantime uh, was up to each uh, team you know and he wanted us to work independently he would say you're not getting together in, on this are you and, no no Bob, <laughs> we're, 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 we're doing it by ourselves because he wanted a different angle from each team or mm-hmm. individual. And I can see the, the smartness behind that because uh, after a while, if you're collaborating, a certain sameness comes in and you get used to certain things. And so we were, and, it, and of course there's a competition there too because you're, you're trying to get as much as you can on the show. And uh, in radio, they used to have to not only write the whole show, they had to perform it. Mm-hmm. They would go over to his, uh, his house in uh, Toluca Lake and uh, stand in front of the other writers and hope is at the big desk and go through their script and read it. So you know that you're not going to walk in there with anything but your A material because your colleagues are sitting there just waiting to snicker and say, <laughs> that chance that one has, you know. But he, he developed a lot, of, uh, a lot of rating things that he used to do in radio. He, he did two versions. He did a, a, a West Coast version and an East Coast version. It used to be two separate mm-hmm. shows. So he would do the first show, and he would rate the laughs. And he had one to five. And then, he, then on the second show, they would cut out any of the deadwood that didn't play on the, on the first uh, run through these were live, but mm-hmm. uh, so they had a chance to uh, to improve it. He always looking to improve, improve, improve. Um, nothing was ever cast in stone to the point where even a sketch that we were taping it wasn't un- unlike him to come over to us. We'd be standing there watching the taping, and he'd say, "Think of a line for me at the end." I think I think there's a better line for me at the end. There was always a blackout that he thought was elusive and it was floating around out there and we just hadn't thought of it, right? And uh, I, I try to analyze that and I talk about it in the book some that uh, I think it has to do with how you finish something is how the audience perceives the whole thing. A, a good strong tag kind of puts the stamp on and if you have a weak sketch that doesn't end strongly it colors the rest of it, no matter how many laughs were in the sketch. The thing doesn't pay off, as we say, in the business. So 
blackouts were very important to hope, and we always were looking for the, the one that had escaped that we hadn't thought of yet. Attention, this important consumer alert is brought to you by the Structured Settlement Cash Hotline. Did you know it's possible to receive upfront money in one large payment from your Structured Settlement? Yes, you can. If you're receiving a Structured Settlement spread out over time and you want to access your money today, call us. It's your future cash. Why not put it in your hands today? Don't wait any longer. This is the best solution if you need money to pay your bills or even help a family member who's been affected during this global time of crisis. Everyone needs a little money right now, and our hotline is here for you. If you have a structured settlement where you're getting money spread out over time and you want it faster, call now. This simple 10-minute call can get your money now. The call is free and it costs you nothing. 800-965-7987. 800-965-7987. 800-965-7987. That's 800-965-7987. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk tvconfidential.net talk at tvconfidential.net you can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential x.com forward slash tvconfidential or at tvconfidential on instagram and if you're listening to us on the tv confidential podcast please be sure to hit the subscribe button This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.